it's all about, hey, if you're a founder, what is more important to you? And there are typically three themes that come up. Number one, sales acceleration. Either they're pre-IPO, pre-SPAC, they want to show some good numbers before they are listed. Number two, hardcore product integration, right? And Microsoft is you know, as I mentioned earlier, is is almost like a tech economy internally. We have vast portfolio of products internally. And then number three is be seen with a big brand. And we would equally love to see be seen with the unicorns. And so what we are doing differently here is it's not transactional. It's not like, hey, give us Azure. It's almost like thinking through, looking at it from a strategy point of view. What will it take to help accelerate founders' success? And so that is huge. And it is a unique differentiator. Our industry peers do an awesome job with startups. We all know that. But none of them do what we are doing here, which is really honing in on what is important to the founder and what is important to the startup success. Welcome to the Data Binge Podcast, a library of discussions with technologists and business leaders focusing on the human relationship with technology. Three, two, one, deploy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode. Thank you for listening. And as always, I'm wishing you the very best of health, energy, and optimism for you and your loved ones in your journey across this very moment. Today's episode is a Simply Tech live interview recorded May 6th of this year, 2021, featuring my co-host Ali Mazahari and our special guests coming to us from Microsoft's high-tech Pursuits Unicorn team, a special team focused on accelerating, partnering, and supporting the enterprise of the future. The discussion will feature Ken Miller, general manager of Microsoft's West Region Intelligent Cloud team and the leader of the Unicorn team we're talking with today. Shalu Garg will be joining us in the discussion. Shalu is the managing director of growth stage startups in Unicorns at Microsoft. We'll also be featuring Matt Hughes in the discussion. Matt is a high-tech industry leader at Microsoft. And the combination of these three guests We'll cover a vast array of just really fun, top of mind, and critical topics across the high-tech industry, and how value will be and continues to be captured and developed with founders, venture capitalists, and new joint partnerships in the world of fast-moving and emerging technologies. If you have any interest in the future landscape of emerging tech as a founder and investor, or you're an organization looking to seek differentiated ways to think about the growth stage and unicorn ecosystem, you'll be very much pleased with this conversation. Thank you for listening. And now we bring you Microsoft's high-tech pursuits unicorn team. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Simply Tech Live. This is your first time tuning in. Simply Tech Live is a collection of discussions featuring technologists, business leaders, and everyone else in the technology arena focused on the evolving landscape of technology. We have some wonderful guests slated up for you today. I'm your co-host, Derek Russell, joined by your other co-host, Ali Mazahari. Ali, what are we doing today? We have a fantastic session planned today. First of all, it's already May, so it's unbelievable. 
we are in Q4 of our fiscal year. So I know everybody's busy, but as you said, I'm super excited that we have this great line of speakers. And I think it took us a long time to schedule this. So I'm personally looking forward to the conversation. I am too. And I'm looking at your screen. You have a beautiful bouquet image up. You must be using the new MacBook, which is oh, yeah. interesting. <laughs> it's working well. <laughs> uh, Microsoft man using a, a MacBook Apple product. I love it. So we are going to be bringing in some really exceptional speakers talking about Microsoft's position or strategic position in the market with unicorns, startups, venture capitalists, a really intriguing high-tech space be introducing you to Ken Miller. He's the GM of our intelligent cloud business in the West region. We're going to be talking to Shalu Garg. She's a managing director for uh, Unicorns Initiative and Matt Hughes, an industry leader in the high-tech uh, world for Microsoft. And here they are. Can I say something about Ken before we officially kick this off? Where are you going to go with this, Ollie? It's, it's all going to be good. It's all going to be good. So, true story. I met Ken about 10 years ago, maybe a little bit more. And he came to our office and he was talking about this new thing that Microsoft is going to offer to customer called Azure. So that's where I'm going to stop. Love it. I remember that. You know what? I think at the time we probably had both, we both had more hair at the time, Ali, but I, I mean, <laughs> it, was, it was 10 short years ago. Glad to, glad to have you here, man. Yeah, no, it's great to be here. I really appreciate all the great work you guys are doing. And it's definitely an honor to be part of your show. I think I speak for Matt and Shalou as well when I say, I mean, it's it's an exciting opportunity. We're looking forward to the conversation for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Good stuff. Appreciate you having us. Yeah. So let's kick it off quickly with some introductions. Let's start livening it up. So Ken, can you talk to us a little bit about you know who you are, what you're doing at Microsoft, and something that's your favorite piece of technology in the house? Sure. No. So just really, really quickly, Derek, background. I've been at Microsoft now for about 18 years. And like Ollie said, since about 2010, I've been focused on the Azure platform. And it's been, you know, quite a ride, probably more luck than anything, right? Because the platform has certainly taken off and it's been a ton of fun. We're making a lot of great progress. In fact, we'll probably get into some of the stats, you know, throughout the show today. But currently, like you said at the onset, run our intelligent cloud business out of the West region and then also run our high tech suit initiative across the U.S., which Shalou is a part of. And that initiative really is about focusing on late-stage startups and unicorns across the U.S., we're making tremendous progress. It's a new market for Microsoft, and we're building a business around it. It's a lot of fun. My favorite technology around the house is probably Roku. Love the Roku device and use it all the time to stream great content. Go ahead, Matt. Probably a similar technology, but I love collaboration and voice AI. So it's kind of nice with the, the acquisition of Nuance. Not yet closed, but for somebody who uh, struggled typing, and I'll get into that a little bit when we do a high-tech overview. But as Ken mentioned in your introduction, I appreciate it. So I lead the U.S. high-tech practice at Microsoft. I've just closed in on you know one year here, and it's been it's been a wild ride. It's been great. Thank you, Ali. And then prior to this, I was over at Adobe for five years on the digital marketing, digital media side. A couple startups before that, and then 16 great years at Cisco. And prior to that, it's too long to go back that far. But I'm thrilled to be here. As you mentioned, I lead Microsoft hardware software platforms for the U.S. Shalou? Thank you, Matt. Shalou. 
Sure. Firstly, Ali and Derek, super impressed by the studio that you're running here. Thank you very much for the opportunity. A uh, quick introduction about myself. I've been with Microsoft for about two years, deeply rooted in the startup VC and private equity space. Super passionate about it. Prior to joining Microsoft, I've spent many years at Oracle in mergers and acquisitions, uh, go to market for a hardware business. Then I was also one of the co-founders for the startup business at Oracle. A lot of good stuff there. To your question, Derek, something that I'm very excited about is just the, uh, just the rise of social impact in the last one year. I think we all will agree that we are not only facing a global health crisis, but also it's human, economic and, economic and social crisis. And it's just fascinating to see the power of technology that's driving social innovation and social entrepreneurs across the world who, are, who have been traditionally very underrated but then in the last one year or so, there's this whole sophisticated impact ecosystem that has emerged. So, Ken, can you uh, walk us through, like, you know, I think the teams gave us a really good background of, of why uh, we're really focused in the arena. But can you just talk us through evolutionarily, you know, your participation in, in the industry, um, where, where high tech is going? Just give us some thoughts around um, what you've seen. Uh, in the last uh, uh, couple of years? Yeah, I know for sure. I mean, Derek, it's an interesting question because when you think about where we've been just in the last year, right, with the whole kind of challenge with this global pandemic, right? I mean, the amount of transformation we've seen in the last 12 months has been incredible. And I think that what has stood out for me is that if you would have asked, you know, a CIO, for example, two years ago, how fast can you move? How fast can you bring something to the market? How fast can you transform a category or industry? We would have got an answer, you know, it might take a year or two or three years, but the transformation that we've seen over the last 12 months has been incredible. And it really speaks to how quickly we can move, how quickly we could change pace, right? So I think that like that in and of itself is going to carry us into the future because five or 10 years from now, people look back and say, well, look, during COVID, you know, we had to move immediately and we did. This is how we transformed, right? So I think from that perspective, it's been a great learning experience. You know, something else that sticks out for me is that there are so many new born-in-the-cloud, cloud-native, digital-native players coming to market. They're getting incredible valuations. When you think about, you know, the Snowflakes of the world, the Poshmarks of the world, the Instacart, Databricks, et cetera, massive valuations, right? Especially in the data space. I know you're very familiar with the data space and have some experience there. So I think that, you know, there are so many very small companies that exist today huge valuations that are flying under the radar because they're not widely known yet, but they've got a massive potential for huge growth over time. You know, internally at Microsoft, we think about it as kind of this long tail of consumption, meaning that there's early stage adoption and there's massive propensity to grow over time. So, you know, it, it's just been, it's been an incredible experience to see how companies like Uber, for example, has have completely transformed the transportation industry. You know, what other companies are doing just to change the way they interact with people. The advent of AI with, you know, Tesla, for example, Elon Musk, the work that's going on there, just incredible stuff across the board. And what about you, Matt? You know, coming, being with the organization for a year, you know, coming over from Adobe, I still remember meeting you. I think it was at an in-person conference. This sounds so unreal. Ken introduced me to you. We had a, a pretty great conversation. Ken, I think that was the first time we went live. I think it was back in 2019. I forgot the event, but you know, Matt, when you look at the industry, like what are you excited about? You know, what are the, the trends, the acquisitions, the opportunities, the things that are just lighting you up? 
Yeah, I, I think it falls in line with what Ken said. And, you know, when I came over here, candidly, when I joined the company, I wasn't aware of the volume of innovation that Satya has and our partner ecosystem, just the moves that they've made. I think everything with my background, I'm very focused on kind of what's next in terms of technology. I also am passionate about partnerships, working with our one commercial partner, leveraging the ecosystem to see some of these industry market opportunities, and also some of the not so subtle opportunities that we have, with, which is you know, top of mind for every CTO, every CIO, even a chief revenue officer, and that is around 5G, right? So that's taking intelligent cloud, all the data and analytics, and making it you know, real-time active or having action on it, both from the enterprise perspective as well as the telecom perspective. So I think 5G is one of those things, especially with my background in you know, service provider, channel, carrier, and enterprise, that I think is really going to be one of the bigger trends that is in front of us. And some of the acquisitions that we've made over the last, I want to say, six to nine months with Affirm Networks and also Metaswitch are kind of a lead into, and public, publicly information available, but that's sort of a lead into how we're going to seize that 5G opportunity. Love it. And so, Shalou, I, I know you have a perception of the market, and I think you're going to have you're going to get deeper into the the unicorn space. We're going to talk about um, you know founder best practices in the startup space. You mentioned sustainability. What's your perception on market changes? You know, there are two things that I'm super jazzed about. One is this whole challenging the status quo around digital transformation, right? So. If we look at the market before pre-COVID, if I would have said the word school, the instant sort of visual that comes in front of us is a building with kids running around, there are teachers in the classroom, and you, you're carrying a school bag, and you're getting in your school bus. But it's been amazing to see in the last one year, you know, how quickly we have adapted. And I'm not just speaking about U.S., which is a developed nation. I'm talking about globally, right? Look at the developing nations like South Africa, Somalia, even Syrian refugee camps. That has been phenomenal because... It has not only impacted the education rate overall, but it's just got us adjusted to something that we thought was never a normal. That's number one. Number two is in the startup space. What I'm really glad to see is that although the investment numbers are not very optimistic, I was looking at a report like which is dated late 2020, not amazing numbers. Of course, there have been SPACs and IPOs and some good stuff happening, but the propensity growth in the startup space has been phenomenal. Right. It's been really great. There are some startups that fell off the charts. Others were survivors and they did really well. And that's been amazing. And that ties back to my first point is this whole notion around digital transformation. Everything just became digital. And so that's what helped most of this, these startups and the innovation rate grow, which is which is very exciting. So, Ken, you talked about the, the high tech industry. And I know that you're working with Matt and Shalou. Can you tell us, either of you, a little bit about, like, you know, what high tech means in terms of the business for Microsoft? It's a great question, Ali. And, you know, we are actually, Matt and I spend a lot of our days having this very conversation. I don't think that there's a black and white definition, so to speak. I can tell you that, you know, as Matt mentioned earlier, we think about it kind of in these buckets of hardware, software platforms, right? Where it becomes super challenging, and they're great conversations, right? I mean, we have these all the time, and they're, they're a, lot of, a lot of fun to have. Uber, for example, or example, do you think Uber is automotive or high-tech, right? You know, is Airbnb hospitality or high-tech, right? Is Zillow real estate, professional services, 
or high tech. So, you know, you've got these ISVs that are building these platforms essentially. So there's a lot of conversation, you know, across Microsoft about how we think about these types of customers. At the end of the day, what we really want to do is provide subject matter expertise so that when we meet with customers, our sellers are specialists for arm drive the most meaningful conversations, right? Stepping back earlier this year when our fiscal year first started, Matt and I went on a mission to really think about how Microsoft should define high tech, right? We created some very basic principles, but again, there are always these outlier situations, kind of the Ubers of the world, as I mentioned. So like I said, very high level hardware software platforms, a lot of ISVs building on, you know, Azure, for example, would fall into that category. In the West, for example, we've got a high number of ISVs that we've recruited. They're now very strong partners of ours building on that platform. A lot of the opportunities that Shalou and I deal with in this high-tech pursuit space, late-stage startups and unicorns, they're all high-tech for the most part, right? They're typically ISVs building on our platform. They want to do something more meaningful with with Microsoft. ThoughtSpot, I know you saw that press release, Silicon Valley-based company we announced a partnership with about two months ago. They're a data partner. They're going to build on our platform. We're going to go to market together and make a lot of good things happen. We're already seeing significant momentum there, but I don't know. Hopefully that helps. Yeah, I could, if I could add go one thing, no, I'm just going to say Ken hit it on the on, you know the nail on the head. I think the other thing that we, as we developed a point of view on high tech, I mean, we're a high tech company, right? So it's not like we we don't take that for granted. But when we started upon this initiative, which has been ongoing, we really wanted to crystallize, you know, what our value proposition was going to be to high tech and also how do we define high tech? So just to, from a standpoint of casting the net wide, but not too wide, we take a look at it as hardware, software platforms, and then obviously startups. And we're very working very closely with, you know, Shalou and the startup team, you know, engaging with the VCs, private equity and M12 to make sure that we see the trends coming sooner than we otherwise would have in the past. So I think that's an improvement. But the thing that Ken and I did is we also spent an enormous amount of time with the global system integrators and, you know, all of them for the most part globally. And we really asked them to help us define it from a customer viewpoint. So we spent a lot of time internally, you know, aggregating the account list that falls into those categories, creating a TAM against that, understanding what our percentage rate against that TAM is, total addressable market. And then we measure ourselves on that. And, you know, as we wrap up the first quarter, the results are very positive in terms of what we're doing in high tech across those three stratas. But we've also talked to the voice of the customer, right? So we've gone to those customers like a Cisco, like a Juniper, like uh, in the hardware space. In the software space, we've talked to Adobe ServiceNow. And in the platform space, we've talked to the Airbnbs and we've talked to the platform sharing economy. And this is the way they want to be categorized. So it's not where they self-define today, it's where they want to go in their one, two, and three horizon. You know, case in point, Cisco is a company that has traditionally been just a hardware manufacturer. They want to be treated from an industry perspective as a software company because that's what their ambitions are. So everything that Ken said was true and just a little bit more in terms of how we develop that unique point of view. And I just want to add to what Ken and Matt said here. I think if we take a step back, high tech has always been an evergreen industry. Right. So even if you take fin services, healthcare, so on and so forth, everything has every industry has an underlying aspect of high tech. And what the team here is doing is primarily democratizing the tech economy. Right. So it's becoming more like part of the DNA. And there is no going away from it. They go away mm-hmm. from it today, but it's going to come back to you tomorrow. And that's the key to success in the market. 
I'm sure that, you know, Azure is a backbone of all this, but we also have, you know, other cloud providers. I know Ken and I and Matt and everybody here, they want everybody to use Azure, but there's always a, a reality aspect of it as well. What kind of trends do you see? I mean, is this more like, you know, the high-tech companies that are looking into like a multi-cloud strategy or, you know, how the Azure is being used today? And, you know, what do we see as a forecast for the next couple of years? I mean, I'll, I'll kick that off, Ali. I, I think that, so, you know, first and foremost, a lot of our early adoption going back, you know, the kind of three to five to seven years was about Azure as a single cloud. A lot of internal workloads, data center migrations, moving to public cloud. And that was really a primary bet on a single cloud. What we're seeing today though, and kind of this new digital economy with a lot of these new you know, cloud native digital players coming to the market, specifically among ASVs, right? That are building on our platform. They want a multi-cloud approach. I mean, as much as we want to say like, hey, build 100% on Azure, the reality of it is, is these ISVs are building solutions where their end customer is saying, hey, we already have affinity towards Azure, so we want you to build on Azure. Or, you know, they may have a set of customers that might have affinity to AWS or GCP, but they've also got a set of customers that want to use Azure. So I think that as these new digital native players are coming up out of the ground, we are a natural beneficiary because all of them need to have a multi-cloud strategy. So again, I would love to take everything 100% Azure. It's a naive view, right? Just because of the way that, you know, the market goes. We have some customers, of course, that are, you know, 80% or 100% Azure. But I would say that we've got a wide range of customers that are now leveraging a multi-cloud approach for many reasons, but typically it's based on their customers' demand, right? If that makes sense. Shalou or Matt, I don't know if you'd add anything to that. Yeah, the only thing I would add, Ken, is um, you're spot on. You know, when we look at the startups, Ali, to your point, multi-cloud is, is a common theme, right? And I don't think there's any expectation that, hey, give us keys to your home, right? We understand that that's sort of the freedom that they need. And that's the flavor of the market. And, and to Ken's point, that's where we are going along. Love to have entire thing, but, but we know what the dynamics and the facts in the market are. Sorry, Matt, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, the other thing, just from a competitive landscape and a business model perspective, I think what we're doing in terms of you know being ready at the will for the enterprise, we're having great success there, in addition to the startup efforts. But one of the things in the platform economy that really set itself or anchored itself on B2C is for those platform companies, whether it's a VRBO for your staycation during COVID-19 or whatever you did, whether it was an Uber, rideshare, whatever, these companies have had immense success, but the problem is, is they're going to need to move into the B2B space at some point. I'm not saying today. And so on the one hand, I think we may have been, you know, a little late in that cloud native initial, you know, as they built that business model for lack of focus, but we're, we're quickly changing that. And we're seeing more and more logos that we're winning over in the B2C space because those B2C models have to grow in the B2B and the enterprise the opportunity, the monetary opportunity and the share can accelerate in that area right now. And nobody knows who, if we're going to go back to the business travel versus personal travel and, and how fast, you know, and how much. But I think that B2B model for some of these platform economies is really, really important to them for valuation and growth. And I think we're uniquely situated with all the right tools, assets and value proposition to seize that piece of the market. Yeah, I think that's a great point, Matt. And just one more note on this, Sully. You know, Matt makes a very interesting point in that, you know, Microsoft 
today is really seen as an agnostic player, right? There are a lot of customers today that you know don't want to do business with some of our competitors because of the verticals they sit in or because of past challenges with competition and things of that nature. Whereas we, we, we truly believe a more agnostic player where there's less risk to do for a variety of reasons. So again, we're a natural recipient of some of that goodness. I know that there are probably some folks on this call or that are listening to this that will fact check this, but you know, we all, the, the three major providers who do their earnings, right, recently. And I, I mean, I can tell you that Azure is growing more rapidly than our competitors. When you look at AWS and GCP growth rates, Azure is growing faster. So I know I dumped a bunch of glass on a fire and I'm sure my, you know, yeah, email is going to start blowing up or whatever, but we're making good progress and we're, we're seeing great, you know, quarter over quarter growth, which is awesome. And I mean, I'm a big advocate of open source. And I think the fact that Microsoft is all in into that space for the past couple of years is going to even further, you know, sending the message that we want to make sure that our customers, especially in high tech, they are cloud agnostic. And I mean, Azure can run anything, right? Like the other cloud program. So that's a great progress that we see in the market. In terms of the trends, Matt, what are the consumers demanding from this industry and how that kind of demand or trend is shaping where the industry is leading to? Well, I think both the consumers in the B2C and the B2B space are looking for everything as a service, right? So we've got several pillars that this panel, this esteemed panel that uh, have collaborated on. And some of those pillars are around just the real-time access to data, whether you're a business or enterprise, everybody wants to be serviced and have their customer issue dealt with in near real-time. So, right, we're talking about real-time platforms, access to information. The service is almost more important than the product itself. So for people in our partner ecosystem and, and Microsoft and our customers, when we talk digital transformation, that's not just an IT-led discussion. It's all the way across every line of business. And so working you know, uh, internally and also with our partners around that customer 360, so we know exactly where that individual has been, what she has needed, what she's going to need, and that predictive analytics is really what they're demanding. I mean, just think about, back to your question on the consumer side, like if there's a hiccup, you know, booking a, a, you know, a room at Airbnb and not to you know, single them out, but like you're going to ditch it and you'll go back to the hotel or you'll try a different platform or you'll drop that listing, right? For a rental, for a three-day weekend, Memorial Day weekend, whatever. So if that experience isn't dealt with in real time, that customer service is, is huge, right? And, you know, even personally, I've made decisions not to buy something because the chat bot is not populated with the right, you know, a, from an AI perspective, it's not populated with a broad enough array of questions. And so if we can't answer the question... I'm done. The shopping cart's empty. And I think that's the expectation, not only of consumers, but that's also moving into the business community as well. Great point. Great point. I have a question for Ken. So again, I know that MTCs, for instance, they've been directly involved with you know your team, especially in Silicon Valley. My peer, Christina, she's, uh, she and the team, they've done a tremendous job supporting the demand for the high tech. Uh, Nuance was another customer of MTC. But when we talk about the support that Microsoft provides, it's not just a product, it's not just offering or Azure. There's like a huge ecosystem with different teams that they can come and help all these customers that we have in that industry. Can you share a little bit more about like, you know, what Microsoft is doing, whether it's going to be in a partner space internally? I know that, you know, Matt is part of the CDO team that, that we are part of it as well, but can you share some insight? 
Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, at a high level, Ali, you know, we've got what we call really four key solution areas that we're focused on at Microsoft. And, you know, there's our biz apps business, there's our modern work business, there's our data and AI business, and there's our apps and info business. So each of those solution areas has a set of specific specialists. I call them kind of belts of that specific solution area to help our customers go very deep, right, from a subject subject matter expertise perspective. In addition to that, we've got a customer success unit. So, for example, in the West region, our customer success unit has over 100 cloud solution architects that wake up every day. They're a free resource, literally. They're, they're not a billable resource to help our customers migrate their applications, do architecture reviews, things of that nature, to bring their applications to our clouds, all through clouds, right? So outstanding resource there that's essentially free for our customers to leverage so that we can help them drive more success in our platform. We call out the MTC. The MTC has been a phenomenal partner of ours. For the folks that may not be familiar, Microsoft Technology Center, right? So in Silicon Valley, we've got an MTC. We bring in unicorn customers, Shalhoub's brought several in, all the way up to large enterprise customers to do whiteboarding, to do adoption, to help them with migration, to expose them to new and different technologies, to do workshops on Kubernetes, for example. They want to become more familiar with that. We see tremendous output from those sessions and helping customers adopt our technology in a very successful way, right? So it's to help drive POC, to help drive new use cases, and really to get the most value out of their purchasing from Microsoft. So I feel like we surround our customers very well. I think that's one of the key reasons why Microsoft is so well positioned. You can hear about enterprise support, and that's what we're talking about, right? All of these kind of solution areas surrounding this customer to help drive more success on our platforms. You know, so do we have any? Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to add one comment on the partner piece. So one of the things that we're very intentionally doing, which we've done in the past, but we're really trying to surgically do a better job of it. When you think about our partner ecosystem, there was a recent article in uh, CRN, which is Channel Reseller News, where Sati talked about the $2 trillion opportunity for our partner ecosystem, right? So I won't bore you with all the details in the article, but I think intentionally, as we close out this year and go into next year, there's a very focused effort to align our one commercial partner organization, which is basically our channels organization for the external audience, to focus them by industry, right? So as we think about that, you know, customer business outcomes, and showing up better, we're really aligning the partner ecosystem around that $2 trillion opportunity across all the different assets and value proposition of Microsoft to high tech and other industries. And we're really going to put a focus on making sure that the industry sort of wrapper, right, and value proposition, as there's a lot of talk about industry clouds, which we've announced a couple. And so I think getting our partner ecosystem to get behind that industry focus is going to be critical. And that's something I'm super excited about. Fantastic. Derek, I don't know if you have any question from the folks online, but if not, I guess uh, you have a couple of questions you want to ask the team. Yeah, the timing is great. We're just at the half. So I think just talking through high tech trends, things happening in and around the Microsoft ecosystem, the cloud ecosystem. Eva Dickerson, she says, hello, thank you for hosting the discussion. Danny, Danny Lowenthal is all over this. He's asking if, if Shalou can be more vocal about female founders in the industry. What Microsoft is doing differently, I think we'll get to that. Sarah Khan, hi everyone, this is me. Let's connect. So make sure you connect to Sarah Khan. Uh, just some folks that are time. Uh, and just before we get into this this unit unicorn kind of discussion in, in the next kind of piece of our talk, I was reading this article by the Economist. I think it was called uh, I think it was called like the Big Fish. 
or something like that. It was like very dramatic, big tech, big tech pickup. Yeah. And it had this graphic and I'll share the graphic and it showcased kind of the incumbents in every single specific space and how there was incumbent market shares were kind of declining. So you have like a Netflix and their market share declining just because now you have Max and you have Disney's stepping up in the space and even Disney kind of their, their market share is just differing because they're streaming services. You have Microsoft entering into this gaming business over, you know, we have this $10 billion gaming business, which is massive. We have all these companies, Spotify starting to take from Apple's, you know, wallet share from, from podcasts. How does Microsoft help our customers and our partners realize themselves as incumbents and pull them into different tech spaces? This is kind of a nerdy conversation, but we just get some folks feedback on it. Shilu, what, what are your thoughts, Nicholas? You know, it's interesting. If you look at it from a market point of view, Microsoft is considered an incumbent, right? And so are many players in this space. So when we talk about big tech, as you mentioned, or, you know, what the big tech players are doing, they are looked upon, in some cases, role models, in some cases, eating up the market share. So it really depends. I mean, when we talk about partnerships or in, in the view, what lens do we want to look at when we talk about incumbents or the big tech. Is that a question back to me, Shalou? Yeah. I would ask you, you know, from a partnership angle, when we look at incumbents, would that be a compelling value proposition? You know, I see a lot of... I think when I look at Microsoft as an incumbent, and I look at some of the areas that we're starting to get deeper into... It's and I know Ken, you're kind of laser focused on cloud strategy. Matt, you're probably just as laser focused on cloud strategy. You guys sit near and dear to, to cloud. I think myself and Ali, we sit in the chief digital officer organization. So I'm a digital advisor in the organization. I'm helping kind of businesses spin off and become you know everything as a service type businesses. We're bringing in like R and D and product and different parts of the Microsoft organization that I never even knew existed. And we're starting to realize that all those ancillary marginal businesses that I didn't really see as strong as our Azure business mean a lot to some of our customers, like our, our devices business. You know, what does it look like to put a Surface Hub in some of the retail stores? You start thinking about the, the HoloLens with the Connect camera with depth, you know, has the time of flight, depth perception capabilities. So all these like marginal kind of long tail capabilities that I think are really interesting. And I think that's a story that we don't talk about enough. Um, yeah. That as further from the Azure business, I start to realize, oh my gosh, we bring the cloud and we bring the database, we bring the AI and all these wonderful use cases, but there's so much more that we can bring into the conversation. And I'm always trying to figure out like, how do we tell that story to some of our customers and our partners? Matt, what are your thoughts just on the, on just the capacity of customers, partners to start taking a look at that in different way. So I think, I, you know, as I take a look at adjacent markets to us where, and I'll go back to the nuance acquisition, and actually it's great that you mentioned the HoloLens opportunity because, you know, we actually launched the HoloLens as a consumer, as a consumer device, and it mm -hmm. didn't really go that well. And then we productized it, we made it industrial, right? So from a product perspective and automotive, and now for the Army, we <clears throat> landed a $22 billion contract uh, about two or three weeks ago, which is massive, right? Twice the size or more than twice the size of the Jedi deal. 
as you mentioned, but I think that's in terms of new business models, like the health, if you actually think about what's going on in that helmet and in that HoloLens, it's doing well-being. So it connects to healthcare, it connects to you know government, it connects to every other industry, that use case. And it has heart rate of the per and I'm just giving you one use case, right? But it has the heart rate, the stress level. So if that individual, you know, hoping we don't have to go into battle, but if that that person is fatigued, like a doctor, right, with the nuance acquisition, we have the data and AI to know the well-being of that individual or the use case and then make changes on the fly, right? So I think from a capacity perspective, I think as big as Microsoft is and as, as much success as we've been so lucky to have, I think we're just scratching the surface with some of these new technologies. Add in, you know, you think about online advertising and you don't really think of LinkedIn. Well, LinkedIn's one of the biggest, you know, advertisers out there. We just announced, and I think it was two to $3 billion, right? It, and everybody else is in the shadows. So from, you know, a device perspective, from a new model, you know, it's funny, Ken was talking about Zillow, are they a real estate company? They're actually a media company, right? If you really take a look at where their revenues come from. And so as you, you, you move into nuance and you look at the use cases in terms of healthcare, there is so much innovation by industry that we're attacking along with our industry clouds. It's super exciting to see. And, you know, nuance, personal story, I was one of the first adopters for voice to text or voice AI. I injured my arm and I couldn't type. And so I was like using this dragon naturally speaking. And I got it. I got it. It was really, really painful. But, you know, what we don't, what sometimes we take for granted is that LinkedIn's maybe not an advertiser or a huge source of revenue for Microsoft. And from a voice AI perspective, there is no bigger player out there than nuance. And the use cases that they have in terms of, especially through COVID-19, what they were able to address in 87, I think it's 87% of the doctor's offices where they're installed, they're capturing all that data to, you know, optimize the patient experience, reduce the doctor burnout. So th these are from capacity perspective. These are some use cases that I'm just super excited about. And I have strong ambitions that, you know, the developer community within Nuance is going to be a challenger for some of the other traditional voice AI providers. So hopefully that answers your question. But when I think about capacity, I think about industry, I think about new use cases and things that are really compelling that actually address customer business outcomes. I love that story, Matt. I love, I love how you kind of mapped it into something personal as well. That's just really important how that specific technology impacted you. you know, so let's spend some time talking about the Unicorn Initiative. Chalu, can you talk about what this is and how it's evolving? I'm sure Ken has something to say about it as well. Sure. So, look, the industry definition of Unicorn is billion-plus dollar evaluation. That's the way the market looks at it at a global level. We've been always engaging with startups in some capacity or the other. But I think what is different that we are doing in the last one year or so, and the team is led by Ken Miller here, is we are taking a founder's first approach, right? So it's less about Microsoft that, hey, we've got some free Azure crowd credits. We will make some intros. It's all about, hey, if you're a founder, what is more important to you? And there are typically three themes that come up. Number one, sales acceleration. Either they're pre-IPO, pre-SPAC, they want to show some good numbers before they are listed. Number two, hardcore product integration, right? And Microsoft is you know, as I mentioned earlier, is, is almost like a tech economy internally. We have a vast portfolio of products internally. And then number three is be seen with a big brand. And we would equally love to see be seen 
with the unicorns. And so what we are doing differently here is it's not transactional. It's not like, hey, give us Azure. It's almost like thinking through, looking at it from a strategy point of view. What will it take to help accelerate founders' success? And so that is huge. And it is a unique differentiator. Our industry peers do an awesome job with startups. We all know that. But none of them do what we are doing here, which is really honing in on what is important to the founder and what is important to the startup success. Whether it's joint go-to-market towards one common enterprise customer, whether it's deep product integration with our dynamic suite, which is awesome. Right. Or whether it's just, you know, being seen together in the market. And so that's that's pretty exciting. I will say one thing in the last few months or so, you know, there's a team of four of us on the ground and we've seen immense success. There is enough hunger in the market. We've got the right pieces to help accelerate founder success. And we're pretty excited about it. I'm going to kind of pivot a little bit. First of all, we're super glad that you're here. This program is not just about technology, it's also about focusing on diversity and inclusion. We had multiple sessions focusing on women in tech. We actually had a session with a good friend of mine, Elna Saraf. She's a CEO of Roy B. Robots, which I definitely recommend folks to go and check out that video. I want to get your impression and your perspective in terms of where we are when we think about leaders like you in this space, in the, the founders market, startup. What kind of progress we've made and, you know, where are we in that journey? Yeah. And um, Ali, thank you respectfully for asking that question. Oftentimes we get on discussions and we, you know, do not pay much attention to it. I got to say, you know, I've been in the startup space for a while. And besides raising capital, which is top of mind for every founder, the underrepresentation of female and underrepresented founders has been the next topic of discussion. And so just to set things in perspective, a decade ago, only 10% of the worldwide businesses, only 10% of that was going towards female-founded businesses. And today, as of 2020, last year, the number has come to 14%, which is a ridiculous number, right? It's not that there is dearth of innovation on the ground. And my point of view is if the solution is rock solid, it fills a gap in the market, it helps enterprise grow, then does gender really matter, right? Does it really matter if it's founded by a male or a female? And it's a topic of discussion. It's a super heated and passionate topic by many. And, you know, my heart goes out to all the female founders. I personally am still in touch with them, although I've taken up a different role. And there are a lot of early stage founders I talk to. And it's disheartening to hear some of the struggles that they're going through, which is, hey, you know, I went up to an investor and he asked me that, hey, you have a two-year-old kid. Are you sure you can commit yourself to a startup? And so these kind of questions should not be, you know, it's, it's a systemic issue that exists. Now, the goodness is we are all here in Microsoft, and I'll share a quick story with you. When I joined the company two years ago, we were very close to our internal annual review. And so there are three buckets that we usually measure on. One is growth of others, second is growth mindset, and third is DNI. And I remember asking my manager at that time that, is this a trick question? Like, is, are you, is this really serious? Like, the comp- you're being measured on DNI. That is huge. And so just at a foundational level, when the company encourages all employees 
to think about diversity and inclusion, your the job automatically becomes easier. And so, you know, back to your question, Ali, it's a tough space, but we are fortunate to have strong leaders around us who support us, right? When I look at a female founder in the market, I would say the buck does not stop at capital, right? So yes, you're facing trouble raising capital. What if someone gives you a $20 million Series B check and says, go, you know, build the company? The next step is what is the support mechanism that exists for that female founder? Because money is not enough. And that's where large companies like Microsoft come in, right? We make sure that we have a good system to support these female founders, whether it's free Azure Cloud credits, whether it's being mentors, like I mentor female founders, I learn from them as well. Or whether it's just connecting them, you know, hey, I know this investor, happy to make the connection, absolutely. So not much progress in the last one decade, but I'm pretty optimistic that the next decade will definitely, hopefully, move the needle as far as supporting female founders is concerned. This is awesome. I think one, one great story that I read was regarding the CEO of Bumble, the dating app. And, you know, yeah. the, the know. end of, like, you know, how she started and why she started and, you know, where she is right now. These are like great examples that, you know, we should try to amplify more and more. No, absolutely. And, and I still remember the way that the day they went IPO, she rang the bell with her baby, you know, in arms. And that was a huge statement. Like there was this whole discussion about that's the new generation, right? It's not a generation of females only just because you're a female founder. It's also a generation of women leaders who have families to support. Right, and they're going IPOs, which is fantastic. Awesome. awesome, that's wonderful. I mean, I mean, Ken, like, can you follow up with something as beautiful as that? Hey, you know what, Derek? You know me well enough to know that I can. So, so but good question anyway. You know, look, I mean, I didn't know Shalu until we started working together, which was about nine months or so ago, plus or minus. Right, Shalu was obviously at Microsoft and in another group, and I have learned an incredible amount about female founders about, you know, DNI regarding, you know, just founders in general. Shalu talked about these crazy examples that continue to surface around, you know, well, you have a you know two-year-old at home, are you sure you're, you're going to be able to, to commit the time? I think tech in general, we have that problem. I mean, it, you know, Microsoft is an example, right? We are very focused on diversity and inclusion. We're making dramatic progress year over year, but tech is still largely dominated by males, right? And, and we've got to change that. On the unicorn front, on the high-tech pursuit front, to have someone on the team that is such a proponent of this, like Shalu, and she's not really giving herself credit because she's involved in, in a lot of conversations at the highest levels of Microsoft. Believe me when I tell you that, just to help really highlight the challenges, to surface the challenges, and to actually drive change, which has been incredible for me. I've got a daughter, Derek, as you know. And I want my daughter to have the same opportunity for success as I did or anyone else for that matter, right? So driving this change across, you know, whether it's the unicorn business, tech in general, or just, you know, life in general is super important. And it's great to work with people that continue to keep this top of mind. I will tell you that this business that we're running right now is super exciting. And one of the primary reasons that I say that is that historically... Microsoft has not surrounded these types of customers or partners 
with resources, right? If you're not a Microsoft customer, you're kind of off of our radar. You know, over the years, I always get phone calls like, hey, Ken, there's this new company in Silicon Valley. Could you go talk to them and tell them about Azure? And it's kind of like, well, kind of, but not really. They're not really a Microsoft customer and so on. These digital native cloud players coming up out of the ground are making massive investments, right, in cloud. I mean, you could see it in annual reports and filings, pre-IPO docs and everything else. Huge monetary investments in cloud platforms. We are now set up to go after that business in a very, very productive and efficient manner. Like Shalou said, she has counterparts. They wake up every day. This is all they think about, right? How do we land the next late stage startup or unicorn on our platform? So we've got literally our best and brightest resources, right? Out there every day, fighting this fight and evangelizing why Microsoft should be the platform of choice, right? Not just Azure, but all three of our clouds. We're making huge progress. Like Shalou said, we've had a number of wins. We've popped out a variety of press releases on LinkedIn and and other social platforms for strategic partnerships that we've closed with these types of players in this space. And this isn't, you know, a situation where we're, you know, throwing Azure credits over the fence. These are meaningful partnerships where customers are making significant commitments to Microsoft over a number of years, right? So, you know, there's absolutely give get, there's a go-to-market strategy, there's a strong partnership in place. And what I say is that the types of deals that we're closing today will fuel the future growth of Microsoft. I remember, you know, one example, three years ago, we were working with this company that no one had ever heard of called Snowflake, okay? They were doing zero Azure consumption on our platform. And ironically, they compete with a lot of what we do on the Synapse front, right? So it's like, this is kind of weird, right? But again, getting back to that agnostic approach, bringing best of breed solutions to our customers, giving customer choice... Snowflake now, you know, three years later, is one of our largest customers on Azure, and we've got a great partnership in place. Since that time, of course, Snowflake did several rounds of funding, the valuation popped, they went public, and you know, they had a very successful IPO. So it just goes to show that making that investment early on, forging that relationship very early leads to this very long tail of growth that I referenced previously. So super exciting space for sure. If somebody's watching this program or they watch the recording later on and they have this great idea, how they can reach to Microsoft, what would be the process? Shalou, do you want to take that just kind of with your, your background, kind of coming from my startups at Microsoft, et cetera? Yeah, no, absolutely. That's a great question, Ali. So, you know, we live in the world of social media. It's always good to reach out and we are all, everyone on the team is super responsive. The other way is investors and private equity firms. We partner with them as well. And then, of course, we have Microsoft for Startups team who we collaborate with very closely. They focus on early stage, but oftentimes we get you know, conversations going via them as well. So, yes, if there's anyone out there who wants to work with us, absolutely reach out to us. And just to add to one thing that Ken said, like for us in just the last one year, we've seen tremendous amount of progress and this is not dragging about ourselves. It's actually seeing founders being successful. So our aspiration is to be the trusted partner of a unicorn as any Fortune 1000 company trusts us, right? And right now that's our goal. That's what we live and breathe every day is that how do we win that trust in business of a founder? And of course, credibility as well. And Shalu, while you're on the topic, and we're kind of starting to head off the discussion with seven minutes left to the top of the hour, any words of wisdom for a female founder 
that is interested in reaching out and not just Microsoft, just generally, who has a great idea, wants to start a business, wants to start um, start up a future enterprise? You know, that's a great question. And I get this question asked quite a bit. And the answer is very simple, which is don't take no sitting down. Right. So if an investor says, gosh, what what the heck have you built? Like, it doesn't make any sense, which is literally because from a founder's perspective, it's their baby. Right. So if someone is calling your baby ugly, that doesn't mean that the baby is ugly. That baby is still the most beautiful baby for you. Right. And so it's very critical to not take no sitting down and not get disheartened. If 10 doors doors close, there is that 11th door that's going to open maybe slowly will take long. That's super critical. The other thing I would say is, you know, and this is sort of the common rule, not just for female founders, which is fail fast and adapt and build for the future, right? So that is super critical because oftentimes we're so focused on the industry that we are in as a founder that we say, all right, now, you know, what happens post-COVID? That's the new Mm -hmm. normal. And some of the innovation that I've seen on the ground has been fabulous when it comes to build for the future. And I would encourage every founder out there to do that. But for female founders, do not give up and tap into resources like ourselves sitting here at Microsoft to get connected in the network, in the, you know, need intro to an investor or private equity firm or anyone at Microsoft, please do reach out to us. Amazing advice, Shalou. That's really great that you shared that and you were able to be a part of this discussion you know, I think I was most excited about getting this time with all of you just because this is a space that we all want to understand. The world is changing so fast. We're able to have so much more impact with technology. We see what is happening in other countries because of the COVID crisis, especially in APAC, EMEA, etc. So, you know, as a technology company, you have this inherent responsibility and availability to empower these other groups and these other folks that are really deserving and needing of it. And it's just amazing to share this space with all of you and to see the work that you're doing. So just wanted to say thank you for the stuff that you guys are doing today. Thank you. And I think think as a a follow-up, if you have speakers that we can bring to this platform, so, you know, they can talk about how their journey started, like what we did with Elnaz. I think that's good to kind of amplify that if you have a great idea, you can do it and look at others that they kind of been there in the past and, you know, learn from their mistakes and learn from their experiences. And hopefully we can showcase their products and, you know, how Microsoft and this team help them to, you know, get to where they are today. That's a great idea, Ali. Yeah, I love it. I mean, there's still so much happening. Like every day we're on calls with discussing very unique game changers, you know, transforming completely. I mean, the type of, if you think about like what Tesla has done over the years, right? Elon Musk, I mean, whether it's, you know, in space and vehicles, I mean, there is just so much transformation happening. And like I said, we're on calls literally every day with customers now, partners that are doing so many unique things. It's super exciting, super energizing, and at the same time, a ton of fun. So it's, it's all good stuff. I want to do another plug for Microsoft Technology Center, not because I'm part of it, but I really wanted to have Christina on this call. Unfortunately, because of some conflict, she couldn't attend, but she's also a big advocate for this industry. And again, it's great to have her in Silicon Valley and cannot wait to have everybody go in and visiting the center when it's officially open. Yeah, that's great. In fact, if we have like you know 30 seconds more or whatever, 
Matt Hughes and I run a, a high-tech community. Christina was a guest on our last call. Matt, do you want to talk about some of what Christina shared? She had some, some great info. Yeah. So, so first of all, let me, let me spend just a, a minute on the high-tech community. So this is something that we built from the ground up, all roles across Microsoft that touch high-tech the way we defined it previously. We assembled this community. It's fairly large. We have a monthly community call. Oftentimes, we host external thought leadership, luminaries, startup thought leaders. And a lot of times, we just highlight what's going really well internally. As it relates to the MTCs, I mean, I was blown away. Uh, the work, Ali, you're doing and Christina, like it's so focused on industry. And we didn't have a community call last week because of spring break conflicts. Separate topic. But over the last two months, because we missed last, over the last two months, there were, you know, hundreds of engagements, right? Well above in the 50 to 60 percent increase over the normal baseline. And the amount of high tech traffic that went through there was just amazing. So hats off to you and Christina. I mean, just great work. And, you know, sometimes we think about, well, where does that really fit in? It, especially during the pandemic and work from home, these virtual MTCs, I mean, it's so easy to do. The costs are coming down and the core and the center of each one of these MTCs is really focused around high tech, right? It's the basis of the art of the possible. So she did a great job. We love having those community calls. And, you know, right now they're internal, but if you're a partner or a customer that would like to come in and speak to our community, we would be more than happy to uh, consider that. Thank you. Derek, you ready to get us to wrap? Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, you know, everyone watching, thank you so much for spending the time. If you've been watching this live or if you're going to watch this on demand, which a ton of folks like to do, thank you for sharing your time with us. And thank you, Ken, Matt, Shalou, for joining us. This has been a spectacular conversation. Ali and I just really enjoyed doing this. This is the funnest part of our non-job at Microsoft. <laughs> so we're going to get back to our job here in the next minute or two, but uh, really appreciate everyone for joining. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you very much. Great. Thank you so much. You guys did a great job. Thank you. Thanks, folks. Take care. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us on the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram. And you can also reach out to me anytime via email at Derek at thedatabinge.com. The Data Binge podcast is a personal thought form where we share knowledge and ideas. Views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of my employer at Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thanks a lot.